Welcome Sunderland fans to the Raw podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. I'm your host for today, James Copley, and I'm joined by my colleague Phil Smith. Phil, how are you? How's the arm? Yeah, it's still sore and it's still very much broken and still very much wrapped up, but um, we're still going. And yet still at work, absolute dedication to the fullest from Phil. We'll get started, obviously, with transfers as usual. Uh, main story at the moment regarding a certain Danny Bart. Um, that one's come out uh, sort of of the blue, I guess. Blackburn Rovers may be holding an interest and there's there's been some reports suggesting that Sunderland wouldn't stand in his way. Phil, what do you make of it all? Obviously, Sunderland have signed a couple of centre-backs this season. Yeah, sort of a, um, one of those one of those stories that is um, sort of, Kind of really surprising, but then also actually after you've sort of sat with it for five minutes, it sort of isn't quite as surprising as you first think. And obviously, like, I think the first thing to say, obviously just chatting about it, is that there's absolutely no way I'd be looking to lose Danny Bart this summer. I mean, he was outstanding last year. He was not just for the sort of intangible stuff. Everyone speaks so highly in terms of his leadership and the way he is around the place. Um, certainly, you know, I think any journalist who's had any sort of dialogue with him will tell you, you know, what a obviously sort of mature and um, experienced player he is. And obviously his contribution on the pitch was massive as well, first and foremost, beyond that. There was another a lot of defensive injuries, but he was in that team on merit and he was outstanding. So it would seem kind of crazy for someone to, to be looking to move him on. Um, I strongly suspect they aren't actively looking to move him on. Um, but something we've obviously talked a lot about on the pod, James, is that you know it's a big part of someone's sort of strategy, if you like, that they'll always say to players when they come to the club that they won't stand in their way if they do fall down the pecking order. Um, and so with Sunderland recruiting, you know, another two or three centre halves this summer, um, with Luto nine, I think very much seen as a centre half now. I don't think there's any sort of where does he play anymore. I think Mowbray likes him at centre half, you know, possibly at full back if needs must. Um, but I don't see Luke being a midfielder anymore. The point I'm trying to make is, and Mowbray actually alluded to this a few months ago, there's going to be a lot of competition. And so if there was interest in Danny, a chance potentially for a longer contract um, and potentially a chance to play week in, week out, then I think it's a conversation that you know the club and the player would have. But I have to say at this stage... You know, it would seem it doesn't seem right to me that someone would be letting Bart go at this stage when you know some of you centre rouse have still got a few injury concerns. Some of them have never played at championship level. Um it doesn't quite sit right with me at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um but I think you can understand kind of the process, if you like, as to what where this has potentially come from. If you think I think the example I would most use is probably the Tom Flanagan one. Um where when Tom Flanagan went on deadline day, there was a lot of surprise and a lot of concern and kind of rightly so because Sunderland were left a bit short centre half for the rest of that season, weren't they? Um, but Sunderland were pretty clear that, look, you've got to treat players in the right way. Flanagan had the option of a longer contract to get some real stability and certainty for his family. Um, and so Sunderland let him, let him take that option. Um, and I think that's what they want to try and do for all players within reason. So I guess my long wind, when I'm trying to say in a very long-winded way as usual is that there's, yeah, I can I can kind of see a way in which Bart would potentially move on this summer, but I don't. It doesn't sit right or make total sense to me at the moment that both parties would be actively looking like that at the moment. 
Because for me, there's still every chance Barton the team on the first day of the season. There's still a massive chance Barton the team on this first day of the well, season. Let's um, um, let's ju- let's just and, let's just attack that for a second because yeah. you've got you've got uh, Dan Ballard who's had a few injury issues himself. Hopefully, he's back up to speed for the start of the season. But we don't know. Obviously, transfer interest in him from West Ham. And then you've got Danny Bart, who was the, the starting centre-back alongside him for 38 games in the Championship. Triantis has come in in the summer. He's unproven and picked up a knock on Australia international duty. He hasn't actually returned to the Academy of Light yet or arrived at the Academy of Light yet, so we're not sure. Aji Alisi, we know he's had a setback. Joe Anderson hasn't played much. He could go out on loan. Um, Jensen Sealt, he's had an injury as well. So then you're looking at Luke O'Neill. When you frame it in that context, as you rightly say, Phil, you start looking at who's going to be in that eleven the opening game of the season against Ipswich Town and if he's fit you'd assume Ballard would, would uh, sorry you'd assume Bath would definitely be in there he's, yeah exactly um, maybe you know sort of maybe towards the very back end of August so maybe Jensen Seal plays in the Carabao Cup game and we go oh my god this guy's never going to miss a game again he's unbelievable you know and, or maybe we get a January and you know Jensen Seal and Triantis are fixtures in the team and Bart isn't playing much and he's got six months left on his deal and someone wants to come in and offer him a two-year deal or whatever, you know, it's, you, you can see, I suppose that's what I've been trying to say here, I can see the situation in which it happens, but right now at this stage of the summer, um, it, it, I, I just don't think you're in a position where you could just let Danny Bart go. Um, it, it, that, that aspect of it doesn't make sense to me. And I think also you've got to think, you know, for all, I think some of that are very... Proactive and I, and I think it's right, really. You've got to treat players right, especially proper people who serve the club well. You know, when you talk about players like Danny Bart, Bailey Wright being a classic example, you've got to do right by them. But you have also got to put the club first. Of course, you do. It's, you know, it's a, mm. it's football, it, it's, it's professional sport. Um, and I just think at the moment, you know, while I think we could definitely see some outgoings, I think you've got to be pretty careful because it's got to be structured and you've got to make sure that you don't leave. Leave the squad like because while we're talking about a squad that's in a pretty good place, I think generally, and obviously a fantastic effort to get four new signings in before pre season even begun. Um, you know, you, you are in a situation, especially because of the injuries, where you know, you are one or two, if you lose one or two, you're potentially looking a little bit light. You yeah. know, and if it's town are gonna be a good side this year. So definitely one to watch, I think, um, over the over the coming period. I don't think it's come from sort of nowhere, if you like. Um, and I think it's pretty obvious from the Blackburn end that they want an experienced defender because they've obviously lost Daniel Ayala this summer. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's pretty clear that, yeah, there is definitely something in this. But for me, like, yeah, first and foremost, you know, we we obviously we do get attached to players and when someone has as good a season as he does and offers something different as well. I think that's the thing about yeah, yeah, Danny yeah. Bart, isn't it? Um, then I think that, you know, it, it doesn't quite make sense to me at this moment, but obviously we'll have to wait and see. Wait and see how it develops. But until you've seen the new lads fit, firing mm. um, and looking comfortable, I think that's, for me, that's a little bit of a, a gamble too far. Yeah, I think it would be a very bold and brave call if he wants to go this summer, although I, I agree with the majority of what the, the recruitment team have done at the Stadium of Light. I just feel that losing a player of Danny Bart's experience and calibre um, would be hard for the for the squad to absorb. Initially, I'm, I'm not saying Triantis and, and Seal won't get there, but you know, it does take a while to adapt to English football. When you were saying there, Phil, that Seat 
Seal might come in in the Carabao Cup against Crow Alexander. I was thinking of Aji Alisi, I think, made his debut against Sheffield Wednesday in the Carabao Cup and didn't look brilliant, really. But one of his first senior appearances in, in football might have been his first, actually. We've seen the way... Um, We've seen the way he's progressed over the the sort of twelve months he's he's been at Sunderland, um, so there is that argument to make as well. On the flip side, as as we've mentioned, performances have been brilliant. I think you, there, there's a serious argument to be made, Phil. You may disagree that pound for pound, um, since his arrival in that January before Lee Johnson was sacked, you could argue that Danny Bart's been one of Sunderland's best diamonds. Yeah, hundred percent. Really. I think I would go as far as this, a sensational sign and really. I mean, it took him a little while. He had an incredible debut against Portsmouth and then struggled for a while. Yeah, yeah, struggled for a while after that. But I mean, he, towards the end of the season, I mean, really, mm. um, Top draw. really excellent. And then what he did last year was, you know, to think that, I know there was loads of different factors to it, finances and what have you, but to think that Stoke sort of, you know, let him go to a League One club, mm. um, you know, from to come back to that level six months later, and then produce the level of performance he did over the course of the season um, was was nothing short of, of excellent. I mean, and I think you know, was, I, I, you will not find a Sunderland fan with a bad word to say about Danny Bart. Mm-hmm. Um, no nonsense, hugely effective. Clearly, a very very down to earth, sort of humble footballer in, in in person. He's been exceptional, and you, and you do have to be very careful when you let those players go. As you say, well, for the, progress for, for the progress' office. sake sometimes isn't the best thing, yeah. is it? But I, but I think that obviously you know there's a, there's a lot of different aspects to it as well. And you think about the development of the side, you know we know the style of football someone want to play, and over time that is going to demand playing a pretty high line, I think. Um, and you won't want a certain level of pace, I think, as well in your defence. Um, and we saw that with Bailey Wright, to be honest, to an extent last year as well. Um, and so you. It's not hard to see what the direction of travel is when you're seeing these younger defenders come in, most of whom have grown up in academies where there's a huge amount of emphasis on playing out from the back as well, and that's such a huge part of their armory. So I, I think you can see where the general direction of travel here is, but if the conversations, you know, does Danny Bart still have something to contribute to Sunderland, then, yeah, a hell of a lot. Um, and sometimes, you know, you have to walk before you can run, and I think mm-hmm. you can't put a price on. And I, and I would put him in, actually, I would put Bart in a, in a very, very similar category to Alex Pritchard, who I yeah. thought was genuinely exceptional last season. Not always in the more sort of explosive, obvious way, um, but particularly the first stages of the season when someone were adapting to a new level. His experience, his sort of poise um, on the ball, the way he presses, he was such an underrated part of why someone were able to acclimatise pretty quickly. Yeah, completely and I thought... Agree. Maybe in a slightly more of an impact way at the end of the year, I thought he was excellent. Yeah, you know, I, I still think back to that Preston game where again he may not have been the obvious player on the pitch. Um, you know, in terms of some of the things that were happening with Ahmad's thirty yard or whatever, and I know Pritchard scored a lovely goal, so maybe that's not the best example. But the amount of times he came on and just knitted the play together, you know, Pritchard and Bart are the kind of players who Corey Evans as well, I suppose, who make other players look better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they make other players look better because of the work they do. And I think that you you sort of, um, you, you tinker with that. That's a big gamble. The obvious caveat being, the obvious caveat being, you, you, you don't know who could potentially come in to replace him. Someone's record on that True. front over the last 18 months has been very, very strong. Danny Bart being an obvious example of that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's a huge amount of factors at play. 
for for me it just it just doesn't work for me right now. I just don't I just don't no. see it. Do I see the situation changing over the next six to twelve months? Possibly. Um but I I I can't quite make my peace with that at the moment. Um and it would be a surprise to me if it if it happened at any point in the relatively near future. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to see Danny Bart leave the club. Interesting what you say about Pritchard there as well, Phil, because I guess the other side to it uh, away from the plain, the plain part is off the field as well. And just thinking of Pritchard there, I think it was after the Coventry game, first game of the season in the Championship. Sunderland did well for large parts of that match and then Coventry really had a, a strong last 30 minutes and Sunderland were hanging on a little bit. And Pritchard came out and if you remember his interview with Sky, he, he almost set the standard for the, for the whole season, didn't he? He said, you know, this has to be a little bit of a wake-up call. I think it was the Coventry game. Um, and it was quite a, an honest and brash interview and he said that Sunderland needed to get up to the standard and I think you need that sort of leadership in the squad with your like of, you know, Lyndon Gooch is another one, Pritchard, Bath and you do have to be careful in terms of the character of the squad as well. There are so many benefits to having young players around the place. You know, you get that sort of fearless fearless uh, talent that Ahmad had, um, the, the willingness to try things like Jack Clark has, you know, the physical attributes of Equa, the energy of the team, the present, but you do need some experienced heads in there as well. Yeah, and, and over time, things slightly shift because in a year's time, we'll actually be speaking about Dan Neal as a pretty experienced footballer, mm. you know, even though he'll still only be, what, 22. But yep. by that point, he could theoretically be knocking on the door of 150 games in a senior football. Mm. That's quite a lot of experience, really. So I, it's not it's not so much about age, I don't think. And maybe all of us get sucked into that aspect of the discussion a little bit. Um, mm. It's not as simple as age equals experience and youth equals naivety. Um, yeah. Sometimes that's sometimes that's not really the case. But I think you know the the, the level of football that someone like Pritchard has played at for such a long time, um, the understanding of what it takes, not just to be a good footballer but a successful one over a long period of time, the professionalism, you know, being around teams that have been promoted. Um, and, I, and to be fair, you know, let, let's be let's be give Sunderland some credit as well. They know that, and that's the reason why these players were recruited. It's not that something you know we said it before. It's not that Sunderland won't sign players at the upper end of their age bracket. Um, it's just that they won't pay huge fees for them. There's a there's a huge difference between the two, and there's still two months of the summer window left. Who's to say that they won't bring in a you know a holding midfielder, what have you, of, a, of an older age gap, maybe on loan or a free transfer or whatever. Um, you know, I think Sunderland, you know, Speakman, when he first arrived at the club, talked about ensuring that, yes, we have we want a young athletic squad playing a very aggressive brand of football, but we'll also ensure that we have the right levels of ages in the group so we have that experience. So um, what might change over time is, like I say, some of these younger players might reach the point where they're actually quite experienced and it possibly changes your perception as well. Maybe we don't need that, inverted commas, mm. experienced mm. head because actually... Dan Ballard's played 200 championship games. Anthony Patterson's played 200 senior games. And, you know, at that point, um, they have a good, especially at the club size of Sunderland, they'll have seen a lot of ups and downs in that time. So I think the situation will change over time. But for me, I think, like, it was an amazing season that went well beyond all of our expectations. Um, I wouldn't want to be changing that platform that you have from that group too yeah. much at this stage. And like I say, back end of the window, I'm probably more thinking January, though, if the situation has changed significantly. It's a totally different conversation, isn't it? But, you know, um, 
but the thing I the thing I would keep going back to is that some like I say are very sort of proactive and very strong in saying we want to do right by our players. Um and that's a huge part of the discussion. We are you know, we're speculating now on where everybody's heads but it will be relative to what else could potentially be out there. What kind of security does that offer? What kind of role does that offer? And and that those will be factors as well. Um but I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting then to the window, isn't it? Because this is the first time that we've really been grappling with outgoings in a significant way in this yeah. regime because there obviously was that first summer where the retain list was pretty severe and a, a lot of established players left and obviously there was a lot of discussion around that that was very much the sort of start of the start of the new era if you like but actually there's never really been significant chat about player exits um for one reason or another and um, as we discussed, I think, on last week's pod, getting promoted last year stopped really a lot of those conversations that would have happened having happened. Um, yeah. Probably with players like Ross Stewart, maybe Dan Neal even. Yeah, it, it did. Yeah, and that was good. And that was why that was why that pause happened where it was, we need to get out of this league. Because not yeah, getting yeah, out yeah. of the league would have made implementing everything they wanted to do in the longer term so much more difficult. And that was a classic example of that. Because you would have had bids coming in and players saying, well, I probably want to test myself at a higher level. So, um yeah, it's going to be really interesting into the window, particularly because there's such a strong start on incomings. Sort of leaves you with a vague idea of where the squad's at and what it's going to look like. And obviously now we're in this phase where Speakman spoke about we'll probably have a little pause. Not as in we're not going to try and sign anyone, but while mm-hmm. we work out what we've got in the building and while other clubs work out what they've got in the building, don't forget that either. These Premier League clubs will be going on their tours of the US and they'll be taking 35 yeah, players yeah. with them. And they won't want to let players go until they've got back from that and they know what they're doing. So because there's been probably a slight lull in terms of the incomings, we're in this interesting period now where a lot of the focus is on maybe other players, clubs trying to take away from Sunderland. And how that's managed, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really interesting. I guess that's the, the benefit of getting those four signings done relatively early, Phil, is that you can see how the market develops and crucially, which Sunderland have done so many times over the years, almost as many windows as, as I've seen in my lifetime. How often have we seen Sunderland scrambling around at the end of a, a transfer window in sort of desperation, need of, of positions filling? And you look at the squad now, obviously, possibly some outgoings expected, but if, if that squad was to go into the championship season, you well, you would want a couple more. You always want a couple more, but you would be relatively comfortable with that now, I think. And and I think that's you know yeah. due to the due to the, the early business done. I think the best the best clubs get players in the building before they sell. I yeah, think that's yeah. what. Um, obviously, it's not always as neat as that. Sometimes that's just not going to happen. But generally speaking, teams get players in the building um, because it's the most obvious thing in the book, isn't it? If you sell your star winger for 25 million and then you go and try and buy another young winger you know the price is going to be pretty high because someone's going to say well you've got 25 million quid burning in your pocket and that's what you know Brentford Brighton they've done so well they've developed from within so that actually when they cash that money um the successor is quite often already in the building and that totally changes the profile of what happens to do and it leaves them in such a strong position and I think we're trying to see Sunderland do that. And I think they've done it pretty well by and large so far, albeit it's probably a bit early days in some positions, but which is partially what, why we talked so much about the Ross Stewart situation, because we were starting, well, still worried really, I guess to an extent, that Sunderland weren't in that position whereby 
they could say if the big bid came in, well, that's okay. Stuart can go. We've got these two players who've been sort of developing into that role. Um, so I think that's where I think you look at the business that's been done so far and you sort of nod your head because it's a lot easier to have these conversations about Danny Bart. Well, there's all, you can see that there are two new centre-halves in the building yeah, um, yeah. and Joe Anderson from January went as well over time. Um, and although we're not talking so much about these positions in terms of potential outgoings, you know, you have players like Pierre, Pierre Equa who was brought in and integrated slowly um, and is now ready after six months. You just think, I mean, Equa's going to start against Ipswich, right? Unless something mm-hmm. goes awry in the next few weeks. I don't think will. Him and Dan Neely would expect, wouldn't you? Yeah, so I think like I think that's one of the, the, the ticks when you look at what Sunderland are doing, I think, that gives you a huge amount of encouragement. Um, and it does leave them in a stronger position generally. But it's interesting when we come to, as I'm sure, well, I assume we were planning to go to Jack Clark. Yes, um, we are. Because Jack Clark is a really interesting one in that context that you've already lost at Mad, who I think was 14 goals across all 14, competitions last yeah, season. Probably five, few six assists. assists as well, yeah. A few assists as well, yeah. Um, if you then take Clark out of that, what that's was 24. Clark's, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of goals and assists to take out the team. <laughs> now, yeah. theoretically, theoretically, their successes, as we've just been talking about, are in the building. But mm-hmm. Jefferson Bennett's been out for a while with a shoulder injury. Didn't get a huge amount of opportunity last year. Isaac Lahadji we've, well. we've barely seen anything of because Robertson and Ahmad were just too good at the end of last year and there was a playoff charge on. And how on earth can you drop either of those two? Um, so, yeah, that's, again... It's it's a weird one because I feel like we can just talk ourselves into don't ever sell a player ever, <laughs> um, and that's just not realistic. Um, but the, the Clark one is interesting for me because right now, I think if you take his goals and assists out of the team with a mad as well, I think that changes the team too much in one window. I, I completely agree. And um, then if, if you looked if you looked further back and then a Bart goes as well, that's that's quite you know. That's quite a few of your core players, really. I'm not saying yeah. Bart will definitely go, but you know, you get me point that if yeah, I'm agreeing with you essentially that if you start tinkering too much, then you do need a degree of stability at a football club, especially when the aim, the stated aim now is to is to push on again. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a relevant point to what we're talking about as well. You know, something there's been a bit of a shift in terms of correcting, you know. Every opportunity he's had of late, Christian Speakman talking about, look, the, the model is to build a team to get promoted. It just may be that along the way it makes sense and we work, you know, players will leave. So I think that's probably as well, we should probably sort of stress that as well when we're having these discussions. It's not like an auction at Sunderland by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and at the moment, to be honest, the, the fees that have been banded around for Clark, I just think... Derisory in my I, opinion. I just, I just think why I think it's absolutely derisory. And again, like kind of alluding to it, obviously I was talking slightly tongue in cheek before, but there's an element to it. We are biased and we are all going to think the Sunderland players are worth 60 million. And if you want to sign them, you're going to have to spend. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, but that's because we see these players every week and, you know, in reality, maybe they're not worth millions more than the other talented young players at other clubs who their fans and, and journalists watch every week. But, when you look at what the going rate in the market at the moment and you look at Jack Clark's output last year, you could blame the fact that there are not many young English wingers playing in the AFL at the moment, certainly not off the left. I just think, you're joking. You know, yeah. it's just absolutely well, nowhere. 
I was um, you know, friend Michael makes the point there is I think yes we are biased in a sense that we see Jack Clark and we see his talent and his importance to Sunderland so we're obviously going to want more money but a good barometer is as you say the the current transfer market as a whole and we see how much these players are going to Premier League clubs to the Championship and there's two or three examples I could name off the top of my head this window alone um, and over the past couple of windows as well. And you think, you know, obviously the story is that Burnley have come back with a, a third bid, which has likely been rejected. I think the figure was, I want to say 9 million or something. Did it go up slightly? Um, nine, 9 to 11 million, let's let's just say for argument's sake. And you just think for the profile is, I mean, that's less that's less actually than, than what he went to Tottenham for from Leeds initially. Um, and he's a better player now. <laughs> There's, there's yeah, no I, doubt I, about I, it. <laughs> with, with, with 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 three years left on his contract. Yeah, um, I genuinely think that's I genuinely think that's quite derisory, um, and it makes you quite intrigued as to what's going on. If that's sort of the third bid, suggests mm-hmm. there's a level of encouragement from somewhere, um, but you wonder where that is because it can't surely it can't be from Sunderland because I just think that's I think that's well below what I would value, and that's even like I say what we're discussing that. You accept you've got a little bit of a bias in these cases because you're you have a little bit of attachment to these players that you watch every week. But I mean, how, how much did Morgan Gibbs White go to Nottingham Forest for from Wolves last year? Thirty-five, um, something like that. Now I'm not saying Clark should be in that bracket, but if we're saying a quarter of the price of that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for a young English player who I would guess his output in the championship in terms of goals and assists was probably at a similar level to Morgan Gibbs White. Well, I'm prepared to be corrected on that but I suspect it's it's close to the mark um, double it and I might start to get a little bit a little bit nervous and wonder what Sunderland will do but until that point for me absolutely 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 no chance so Morgan Gibbs White in the championship when he was at Sheffield United on loan he got 11 goals in 35 um I'm not sure on the assists but yeah, Clark's got similar levels of goals. Let me just quickly check that. Obviously, Clark's figures that we've been talking about were in all competitions. Yeah, so he got nine goals in the championship. So Morgan Gibbs White's got two more goals to game ratio. Morgan Gibbs White played a bit less. Um, Clark pretty much played every game. But yeah, I think it's a it's still a valid comparison in the sense that you know, similar age, English going from the championship to the Premier League, potentially, you would expect a bit more. Um Maybe Burnley are playing the long game. I, I don't know. They're entitled to to bid how they want, I suppose. And well, you well, wouldn't, it's, wouldn't it's, expect it's, them to come straight in with the the figure they're going to end on. I suppose well, it's, this is the game, it, sort of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting to me that they're supposedly close to signing James Trafford, who's obviously Manchester City mm. goalkeeper, who's been on loan at Bolton for the last two years and has done exceptionally well. He's England under twenty one starting goalkeeper. For I think the fee is supposedly 15 rising to 17. And I think, yeah, young English goalkeeper, there aren't many of them. He's come up through Man City, so he's going to be perfect for Vincent Company's style. He'll have been playing that way all his life. Great potential. Yeah, yep, fair enough. Um, but, I mean, surely Clark's worth that as well. The player with, like I say, who provides the most important commodity in the game, goals and assists. Does mm. so pretty regularly. He's got them as well. A good balance of th- goals and assists. And he's got three years left on his contract. Um, yeah, I, I, I cannot fathom that you would go for for less than approaching twenty million. I just, um, and you know, like I say, we we sort of um, 
you know, I, I maybe that's Sunderland's stance as well. And maybe, mm. you know, that this stage is not a great deal to worry about. Um, you know, speaking has been pretty clear that they don't need to sell and they're pretty comfortable with their valuations are and that they're pretty relaxed. You know, he sort of made the point in his interview with The Athletic, didn't he? Um, that mm. he didn't necessarily feel as if they were, he didn't use this phrase, but hopefully I'll convey what I think was getting across to, to people. They didn't feel like they were in the eye of the storm necessarily, you know, under a huge amount of pressure with these players. So maybe that suggests that, you know, Sunderland is seeing it the way we are at the moment, where they just don't, that the, these discussions just aren't at a level at the moment where it's potentially a big conundrum. Um, because as I say, as much as we are a, bi- a little bit biased towards these players, actually, in some cases, the numbers really speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in Clark's case, that's absolutely the absolutely the case. Right, so we're going to do a, a separate podcast maybe later in the week or next week tackling uh, developments at the Academy of Light with the um, under-21s, under-19s under and also the women's side of things as well. Uh, obviously, we're approaching the pre-season games, Phil, and the pre-season tour of the US. There was another friendly against Mallorca at the Stadium of Light announced. Uh, Tony Mowbray did an interview with the club. Um, still some injury issues lingering, uh, which is a little bit of a concern. He gave a, a pretty full and thorough update. Phil, what's the gist of it? Yeah, I think it's um, po- probably not too far from what we expected. I think it was always probably a little bit of a pipe dream that everyone would just be able to get their boots on for the first day of the season. Would be it's, nice. it's very mixed, isn't it? I think um, I, I, the big sort of setback, I think, over the summer, which we kind of knew about anyways, Agiolisa, right? I think obviously, you know, he'd post on social media, didn't he, after the Luton game, that he'd had a recurrence and that he needed surgery. And so, not a huge surprise that, you know, certainly indications from Mowbray are that he's not going to be fit to start the season. Um, and that's a real disappointment, I think, because he's versatile. Um, he's really confident on the ball. He's quick, he's athletic, all, all those things that we've seen. So that's a big setback. The much better news was Dennis Serkin, who I was quite surprised and really pleased to see Mowbray say that he wasn't far away at all. Mm. Um, because I wondered whether Serkin and Elise might be in a sort of similar time frame. And that would have left you pretty light at the, on the left sort of side of defence for the start of the season. But if Serkin's close, um, you've obviously also got Gooch and Gooch, Huggins and 9 who can all cover on that flank as well. So that's really positive. Um and it'll be nice to see Elliot Embleton back towards the end of preseason. I think that's the one where I think we kind of hoped he might be sort of fully fit for the start of the season. Clearly, he's not going to be the case. Um, but he could be in contention to be in the squad potentially against Ipswich if all goes well. So that's that's positive as well. And I think Stuart and Evans, we knew, yeah, weren't going to be ready for the start of the season. Evans, I think, is behind Stuart. I think Evans will be a while yet. Um, we might see Stuart at the end of preseason, but probably only in little um, in little parts. Um, and hopefully it won't be too too long into the season um, until we see him as well. So it's definitely, I think, I think it's broadly positive. Um, but you're right; it's clearly it's going to take a little way into the season before before it starts to clear fully. What are your thoughts on Elliot Ambleton, Phil? And I'm not digging anybody out here because I think we all do this to a degree. But I've got a couple of friends, and I'm in a few group chats, and we're we're constantly discussing incomings and outgoings and. A lot of the chat I see, and I have arguments with with friends about this all the time, is that you know Elliot Hamilton needs to go. He'll definitely be sold this summer um, without growing and all of this sort of stuff. And it upsets me a bit actually because I really like Elliot Hamilton. I think he's been very unlucky with injuries. He's done a lot for the club. Obviously, the goal at Wembley. Um, 
similar but different to Bath in a way that I think that um, I would be surprised if he went this window. Obviously, getting back to fitness, see how he goes, play him a little bit. Maybe in January there's a conversation to be had, but for me personally, I don't necessarily understand this this real uh, maybe desire is the wrong word, but it seems like a sort of eagerness to to move Embleton on. I, I think he's a he's a good player, and I think he could contribute for Sunderland. And I think we owe it to him as well to to sort of nurse him back to to fitness and, and then reassess the situation, perhaps. Yeah, I, I don't get any impression whatsoever. That's in any way an active consideration at, at Sunderland. Mm. Um, and Button's versatile. You can play him off the right. You can play him off the striker. In certain scenarios where you think you can have a lot of the ball, you can play deeper in midfield. And versatility is huge for a head coach, especially with somebody who's so comfortable on the ball. Um, he's two-footed. I think that, you know, I, I've always felt that sometimes I think um, homegrown players can get quite a tricky ride at sometimes. I think, yeah. I think the pressure is kind of magnified a little bit, and I think we've seen that. Um, we've seen that with a lot of players: um, Lyndon Gooch, George Honeyman, even actually Jordan Henderson. To a while when he first broke through, I think the highs and lows are probably bigger. Dan so, as well. Yeah, the affection can be incredibly strong, um, <laughs> and sometimes I think the, the the criticism can be a little bit more stinging at times as well. And I think we've seen a lot of those homegrown players go through those phases. I mean, Lyndon Gooch is a very obvious one. Mm. Um, I think for me, for with Embleton, I think broadly speaking, since the start of the um, season where we got promoted out of League One, um, I think his numbers have been more than good enough to warrant his place in the squad. Um, you know, his goals and assists output generally has been very good. He's also scored, made big contributions at big times. And as I say, his versatility is a massive part of the conversation. Um, in terms of what he can bring from different positions. What I would say is this season, you know, there is an expectation that Sunderland are going to go up another gear, hopefully. And then Button's in the same bracket as a lot of players where he'll be expected to develop with that. Mm. Um, and there is going to be an expectation, you know, don't want to put expectation on him too early because he's got to get fit from a broken leg, which is no small thing. Yeah. But when he is fully fit, he will be expected to produce goals and assists, you know, because mm. he's going to be taking up these positions where Sunderland have really talented options and there will be a pressure on him to produce. Um, but I don't think that should be seen as specific to Embleton in any way, shape or form. So I do think when he's fully fit, it's going to be a big season for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think even last year, when the start of the season, he, he wasn't necessarily a regular in the team. He's made big contributions. Two assists away at Reading. Um, you got the equaliser at, at Luton. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I generally speaking, I think if Embleton's on the pitch for long enough, he tends to make a pretty significant contribution. And you know, I again we go back to these things, you know, that we talked about earlier before you lose players like that, um, you've got to be pretty careful when you make that decision. I don't get the impression that's something something to consider. And as you say, maybe it would be different later in the year. But for me, I think I think Tony Mowbray will be absolutely thrilled to potentially have Embleton back in his squad because of his versatility and his willingness to sort of take risks and try things. Um, and obviously, the players who are like that, that can obviously be your own undoing as well sometimes. Mm. If you're willing mm. to take those risks, if it doesn't come off, sometimes it can look uh, not so good. And as a, yeah, as a big England cricket fan, we're seeing that a little bit at the moment. What can be, <laughs> see, your, see your praise to the hilt one week, 
you know, can can bring you for some scrutiny in another week. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it is a big season for Embleton, but I think that just reflects across the board. You know, that there's going to be an expectation that I think there is an understanding now at Sunderland that you have to grow with the team and the club. Otherwise, there'll potentially be someone coming in. Um, mm. And I think there's loads of players in that, loads of players in that category, um, you know, um, all over the pitch. I don't see M button as any different to that. It's interesting, actually, because he could almost be considered like a microcosm of the whole squad in a way at Elliot Ambleton because he's still only 24 years old, isn't it? So what you say about, which is incidentally about the average age of, of Sunderland's squad, first team squad would be 23, 24. So it will be interesting to see what happens. Um, but yeah, Elliot Embleton, only 24. It feels like he's been around for about 10 years. And I suppose he has been around for about six, six five, six years when you consider he played a couple of times in that championship relegation season as well. A couple of injuries. Was it? Am I right in thinking that Jack Ross was really keen on, on having Embleton as a starter, but then he picked up an injury? Was it? He started in the game against Oxford, first game of the season, wasn't yeah. it? The, the second game yeah, of the He had a really bad hamstring injury. Um, mm, that's right. And I think, if I remember rightly, he had a recurrence as well late that year under Phil Parkinson. Mm. Um, and then he was dropped from the Gady as well, wasn't he? Yeah, we're going over ground, but you know, Sunderland probably could have lost Embleton mm. um, and regretted it. But the change to uh, actually trusting young players and you know, properly giving them an opportunity came just at the right time, probably mm. to save Hamilton Sunderland career, thankfully. Um and yeah, you know, it's he's played a huge part in getting Sunderland to where they are now. Um <laughs> you know, like if you actually sit and talk through it, I'm pretty sure we would have done it at some point on this podcast. You know, his run of big goals and assists on that run <laughs> yeah. to League One promotion was pretty insane. Um but yeah, so I'm excited to see him back. I enjoy watching him play. I like the way he takes risks. I like the way that you don't quite know what's coming from him. Um, I think there's a lot more to come. But, he loves um, a tackle as well as we know. He does love a tackle. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a little bit too much, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what's to come. But yeah, he is like a lot of players in the squad where he's, yeah, he will have to find another gear this year. Um, and I don't think there's any sort of, um, anything untoward about that. I just think that's the the price, if you like, of playing at an ambitious club that seems to be on the upward curve. Um and so it'll be exciting to see to see how he fares. Indeed. Well, that was a, a lovely cathartic chat. Phil uh, probably draws an end to the Raw podcast. Uh, we are across all of your social medias as usual. Of course, you can visit the Sunderland Echo website for all the latest transfer news. Phil's got an injury update as well with expected return dates. Lots of analysis. All that good stuff. And yeah, catch us later on in the week or perhaps next week where we'll, um, we'll be bringing you another podcast. And thanks again for listening.